0: Today's Bible reading is Mark chapter 4, verse 21 to 34. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamb to put it under a bow or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces corn. First the stalk, then the ear, then the food grain in the ear. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sequel to it, because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? What parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet, when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the word of the Lord.
1: morning. I hope you can all hear me. Yes, that's better. That's good. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not left us alone. You've not left us in the dark. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word today and we pray that you would grant us ears to hear that you might be glorified we pray in Jesus name amen well as we looked at uh, listened to the passage we have four parables in the passage today uh, the lamp a measure growing seed and mustard seed we saw in the parable of the sower or the soils Jesus' use of parables is twofold. It is to reveal and to conceal. One person can hear Jesus' parables and the fog clears. Another person can hear them and the fog just gets thicker and darker. And Jesus' parables are more than mere illustrations, they're metaphors. If they were just illustrations, it would mean that Jesus spent most of his teaching ministry illustrating, but not saying much about the actual subject or the matter that he was supposed to be illustrating. And a lot of Jesus' teaching is metaphorical. So, what is a metaphor? Well, it's the application of a word or phrase to something it doesn't literally apply to. It shows a comparison with the literal usage and emphasises the literal usage while talking about something or someone else. We use the same sort of thing in our everyday speech. We may call someone an early bird. Or say that a person is working like a dog. We're not calling them a bird or a dog. And we're simply using a metaphor. And a couple of examples of Jesus using metaphors that are not in parables is found in John chapter 10. In John chapter 10 verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And a few verses before that, he said, I am the door of the sheep. And you have to ask, what does a shepherd do? And what does a door do? A shepherd looks after sheep. It's obvious. He leads, feeds, rescues and protects sheep. That's what Jesus does for his church. And a door shuts in those who belong and shuts out those who don't belong. That's what Jesus does. In Mark 4, verse 13, Jesus is about to explain the parable of the soils to his disciples and he asks them two questions. Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Jesus is emphasizing the importance of understanding the parable of the sower, the parable of the soils, because it's foundational. Once you get that one, you're well on the way to understanding the other parables. And that parable ends with the good soil and the amazing harvest of 30, 60, or 100 fold what was sown. It's an incredible growth, indicating the increase is supernatural. It's God's work. It's his fruit. Now, given that the parable is talking about the hearts of people, questions must surely arise in our minds. Well, if I'm the good soil, how can I produce a God-honouring harvest? How are people represented by the good soil meant to live? How am I meant to live? What should our life and ministry look like as individuals and as a church? Well, the parables that we're about to look at provide us with good information about living a faithful, fruitful life. And so we come to the first point, which is the lamp And he said to them, A lamp is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor anything secret except to come to light. Jesus is asking a rhetorical question and it's deliberately ridiculous. Of course, a light or a lamp is not meant to be hidden. It should be put in a place where it will shine and give light to the room. That's the whole point of it. Illumination is its purpose for existence. And it's helpful to know what type of lamp Jesus is referring to. It's not some great luminary, nothing startlingly bright. Rather, it's a small clay common dish with a spout and a wick. A fabric wick in it, and the light it gives is quite modest. But that light shines bright in a dark place. The darker the place, the brighter the light shines. As I said, Jesus is asking a ridiculous question, especially if you think of a typical bed in those days a rug and a cover. Laid out on the floor. Put an oil lamp under that and you'll burn the house down. Same with putting a lamp under a basket. You'll set fire to the place. But There is something about the question that isn't ridiculous. And that is who it's directed at. Notice it says in verse 21. And he said to them. Them isn't the same audience that Jesus addressed in the parable of the sower, that is the crowd. No, this is a continuation of the instruction that started back in chapter 4, verse 10, after the parable. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you, has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but to those outside, everything is in parables. Okay, so what's the point that Mark intends us to get from these verses? What is Jesus teaching his disciples here? What is he teaching us? And the answer is in the end of the parable of the sower, where Jesus emphasizes the necessity of bearing fruit, the 30, 60, 100-fold increase that results from the seed being sown in good soil. And we said before, this is talking about the hearts of people. But what is it that causes our hearts to be fruitful and our lives to shine? And the answer is the word of God asserting its influence in our hearts and minds and working itself out in the way that we live. That word is symbolized by the seed. Luke 8 verse 11 says, the seed is the word of God. It's also symbolized by the lamp. Psalm 119 verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It was that word and that lamp that the rabbis were hiding under an elaborate load of human tradition and hypocritical actions. And it's that word which is today being hidden by false teaching, liberal teaching from many pulpits, and by silent Christians. But if God is going to revive his church, that word must once again reveal its power. That lamp must shine forth in all its unspoilt glory, the purity of that light, in order to be a blessing to God's church and the society around us. Commentators point out that Mark uses a definite article before the word lamp, making it not just any old lamp or a lamp, but rather the lamp. The literal phrasing of the verse then is, the lamp comes not to be put under a basket or under a bed. And again, we ask a question. What is the lamp that has come? Or rather, who is the lamp or the light that has come? And we know, because we have been told it, that Jesus is the lamp. Jesus is the light of the world who is hidden from the eyes of some because they refuse to see. But he will be gloriously revealed to all, to believers in their lifetime and to Pharisees and other unbelievers at the end of the age in the final judgment. Now you may think that, well, I don't have much light and we all often think that way, I don't have much light. But every believer has been given light and integral to the gift, is its shining in witness? Just as seed is for sowing, so light is for shining. And the inevitable question is, Is the gospel light evident in my life? Is Jesus' light shining in me? Verse 22, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And not everyone has ears to hear spiritual truths, And Jesus adds these words of caution in verse 24. Pay attention to what you hear. Consider carefully what you hear. We are to take heed or to be on our guard as to what we hear. Literally, it means see what you hear. Understand what you're hearing. Secondly, we are to be diligent as to how we hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. Now, you may be wondering, well, what's that got to do with it? What's a measure got to do with how I hear? Well, just this, and it's very important. In the ancient world, food was measured out into various size containers brought to the marketplace by the shopper. And they received the measure of whatever they were buying based on the size of the container that they brought. So Jesus is telling us to listen to what God says with big containers, big measures of faith. We are to consider it carefully and attentively and expectantly. If you do that, your measure will be filled, and this word of encouragement and comfort is for you. For to the one who has, more will be given. But for those who come as the hypocrite without faith, with expecting nothing, you'll get even less than that. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away from him. Or as Luke puts it in Luke 8.18, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. So be careful what you hear and how you hear it. What size measure do you come to God with Each morning, each time you read the scriptures, what measure do you bring? We come now to the parable of the growing seed. Now, this is unique to Mark. It's not in uh, Matthew, Luke, or John. Verse 26, and he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, he knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Note firstly that Jesus is again addressing the crowd here rather than his disciples. And he said, it starts off there, In this parable, Jesus is talking about the mysterious growth of the Kingdom of God. It happens without our effort or intervention, without our knowing or even understanding. Our job is to consistently sow the seed. But the power to produce growth is not in us, it's in the seed. Growth isn't determined by any particular formula or technique that we can come up with. It doesn't come by following religious traditions or rules invented by men. It's not because of the dynamism or persuasiveness of the preacher or the person witnessing. It's the mysterious work of God that he orchestrates When the seed, the word of God, is sown, we can't make people believe or grow. Our job is to diligently and carefully sow the seed. And once we do that, it's out of our hands. And to emphasise that fact, what does Jesus say the farmer does? He goes to bed. He goes to sleep. You can't have much more inactivity than that. And while he sleeps, something incredible happens. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. The earth produces by itself automatically, is the word, without visible cause or any human help. And the only other place where that word appears in the New Testament is when the angel led Peter out of prison in Acts chapter 12, verse 10. The city gate opened in front of him of its own accord automatically. The secret growth is entrusted, as it were, to the earth. The seed knows exactly what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. When she was younger, her granddaughter stayed over, and we planted some seeds in her own little seed box. And the next day, we went out to see if there was any growth. And of course, there wasn't. Nothing, no sign of life at all. But a few days later, the next time she came, we checked again, and wow! So many little sprouts coming up. And how awesome it is. God's creation is amazing. And the potency revealed and concealed in such small things. And it's the same with the kingdom of God and the reign of God. The faithful Christian scatters the seed year after year. He or she shares, they explain Illustrate, invite, exhort, warn, urge, and argue. But all our efforts seem to be futile. Then, all of a sudden, the breath of God, like a wind, begins to blow on the harvest fields, and the Word of God shows its power. It's been active before, but no results have been evident. Now, Men and women, boys and girls, young and old, rich and poor, educated and those of little education come confessing their sins and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour. And there is great rejoicing. They have peace with God and assurance of salvation. God is now my father and Jesus is the Lord I love instead of a swear word. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And he always and only does it through the word, the gospel. The farmer doesn't cause the growth. He doesn't even know that it's happening or how it's happening. Our job is to sow the seed of God's word and shine forth Christ's light and the light of truth. God is sovereign. He is the one running things. He is the one controlling the growth of his kingdom and it's good for us to remember that and it will save us a lot of anxiety. He is the Lord of the harvest and he will manage the harvesting. He doesn't need our slick programs. Ours is the privilege of praying for the harvest labourers and gathering in the sheaves that he prepares Matthew 9, verse 37, the harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Pray, Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest. Notice that, it's his harvest. Are we praying earnestly for that? Our final consideration this morning is the parable of the mustard seed. Verse 30, and he said, With what can I compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall I use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown in the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make their nests in its shade. Just three verses long and oh so important. Important for the disciples then and important for us today. And we ask the question, why did Jesus use such an illustration? Why, why do you use a mustard seed and not an acorn? An oak tree grows much bigger than a mustard tree. It starts out small and becomes a massive tree. The branches big enough to put, put your own house in, let alone a bird. Well, the answer is, it's not small enough. It's not small enough to teach the point that Jesus wants to make. A mustard seed isn't the smallest seed in the world, but it's the smallest seed they used in their farming. And it became proverbial for something tiny, Jesus used the same proverbial illustration in Matthew 17 and verse 20 when he spoke of having faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, which is not much bigger than a grain of sand. And you can have such a faith, proverbially the size of a mustard seed, and miracles will happen. But what has mustard seed got to do with the kingdom of God? And why does Jesus use this analogy? Well, firstly, because just like one insignificant tiny seed is unnoticed and unimportant in the eyes of the majority, so the kingdom of God is unnoticed and unimportant in the eyes of the world. Secondly... Jesus' disciples then and now are not to despise the day of small things that Zechariah mentions in chapter 4, verse 10. But we are invited to see in these small beginnings a kingdom greater than anything we can imagine, greater proportionally than the tiny two millimetre mustard seed that grows for at least three metres, a 1,500% increase proportionally. It is greater exponentially because seeds grow and produce more seed. It is greater numerically until on the last day, there is a multitude that no man can number. Well, thirdly, Jesus uses the analogy of the mustard seed to deal with the expectations of his disciples regarding the kingdom of God. And what did they expect? Well, something big, something powerful, something significant, something visible and observable, and something tied up with physical and political Israel. For generations, they've waited for the Messiah, the Christ, God's anointed king, who will come and rescue them and deliver them. But rescue and deliver them from what? And from whom? Great crowds followed Jesus because they were mesmerized by miracles. Many people admire Jesus' power. But not his power to save them from their sins. The Jews are still waiting for their Messiah because they didn't like the one that God sent them. Holding to and teaching the gospel gets tough when the crowds melt away and all that's left is a small number of followers. That's how it was. And that's how it is. As the disciples look around, they need Jesus' mustard talk to answer their doubts and fears. Is this the kingdom? Is this all there are? Just us? Or maybe we're looking at how few in number we are against a hostile world and thinking, is this it? Ah, But how how different after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, when Peter got up on the day of Pentecost and the Spirit of God breathed on the harvest field, resulting in 3,000 people being brought into the kingdom of God. You may feel that you personally, or that we as a church, are as insignificant as a mustard seed. But Jesus is saying in this parable that from such small numbers of followers, a kingdom will come that will spread to the ends of the earth, transforming individuals, societies and whole nations, and that finally, at the name of Jesus, Every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I conclude then with a reminder that these parables teach us about kingdom living and good soil that produces 30, 60 and 100 times what is sown. We are to sow the good seed of the word and leave the results to God. The gospel light is to shine forth from us in our words and actions. We're not to despise the day of small beginnings even though it seems the size of a mustard seed now. God's kingdom will know no end and its glory will know no bounds. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation as Nebuchadnezzar confessed after much pain and humiliation discovering that great truth. And finally, verses 33 and verse 34, with many such parables he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately, to his own disciples, he explained everything. And God is his own interpreter. May his spirit make his word clear to his disciples here today. Amen. May God bless his word to us. I'll announce to him.